Welcome to the Benakiba Connects podcast, a podcast exploring the challenges and transformational technology in the insurance industry. Join us as we talk about industry issues and the technology, tactics, and tools that will help your business become a beneficiary first company. We are on a mission to help our clients become customer centric in their approach to claims management with powerful processes, customer experiences, and technology. Now, here's your host, Ashley Oxholm. Good morning and welcome to the Ben Akiva Connects podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Oxholm, and I have the privilege of talking with Jeff Russell, the president and CEO of Delta Dental, and our own CEO, Brent of Ben Akiva. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Yeah, doing great. This is going to be a fun one. This is exciting. We have never done dental insurance, and so I am really excited. If you are a frequent listener of the Benakiva podcast, you know that we talk to insurance carriers of all different product types. And so it's really exciting to dive into the different areas. And I'm really excited just talking about dental insurance and who better than the president and CEO of pretty much, and correct me if I'm wrong, not the largest dental insurance carrier, correct? Not only in Iowa, where we are, but across the country, yes. yes. That's what I thought. So let's just go ahead and dive in and get started. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are, Jeff, and where you're at, and anything you want our listeners to know. Yeah. When people ask, you know, how did you end up as the president CEO of a dental insurance company? I always think it's kind of a long and winding road. And uh, so I started my career in actually banking, financial services, fintech, back before it was called fintech and it was just called payments. We did credit, debit card, mobile payment processing, ACH checks, if you remember what those were for uh, credit unions and community banks all over the country, a company called the Members Group. In 2007, we had this strategic initiative to start to own credit card assets. Many of our customers were selling their credit card portfolios to large national banks. And uh, when that happened, we obviously lost them as a customer. So we started a credit card company in 2007. Turns out the beginning of the Great Recession might not be the best time in the world to start a credit card company, but we survived that. You know, like many startups, I was employee number one there. And, uh, you know, you lived through all the ups and downs of that sort of situation, but ended up building a credit card portfolio of not quite 150 million, made the Inc. 500 in 2020. Then had an opportunity to come to Delta Dental of Iowa, which is a great company and really had an opportunity to lead this company, which I'm very proud to do. A lot. We can talk about our growth, but we've basically doubled in size in the last 10 years and uh, really gone into some different markets and some different areas, but all with the uh, purpose of improving the health and the smiles of the people we serve. That's cool. Awesome. And, you know, I'll tell you, 2007, it wasn't a great time to uh, graduate college either. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you're president and CEO of Delta Dental, and are you here in Iowa or where are you located? And Yep. So the Delta Dental System has member companies in every state. So there are actually 39 operating entities that cover all 50 states and the U.S. territories. We are Delta Dental of Iowa. So I'm based here in Des Moines and we serve companies that are headquartered in Iowa, regardless of where their employees all across the country. So if you have, if you're headquartered here and you have employees in 10 states, we cover all of those. Likewise, we have our sister companies might have a company headquarters, say in Minnesota or Illinois, who have employees in Iowa and they cover those. But for members, it doesn't really matter. You can still use the Delta Dental Network. It's kind of a hangover of long ago regulation that has kept in the group insurance business. So, <laughs> Very nice. So we're going to go ahead and start and really talk about what is the differentiator 
between dental insurance and other different product types. And I know, Brent, I'm actually going to start with you because you have a vast knowledge of all of the different product types. And what have you found to be true differentiator between dental insurance, specifically how their claims are processed versus other product types? Yeah, a lot of times dental and vision insurance, they're very quick claims. Most of them are very data-driven claims. And typically there's a system that processes those claims via some type of file that comes into the carrier or into the carrier system. But what's interesting about those systems is a lot of times they'll process millions and millions of claims a year. And there are what we call fallouts. So there are some claims that potentially can fall out of the auto adjudication engine. And then that has to be manually looked at or taken care of by most carriers. Just depends on individual carriers, where they are in their you know technology life cycle or their processing life cycle. But typically they're very similar to MedSup type claims. It's a very quick transaction that happens a lot of times. Another thing is most of the claims are small in nature that we've found is you know, we've got some carriers that process $10 million claims. You're not going to find that in the dental insurance space. You'll find them, you know, maybe 3000 or less. So a lot of transactions, but lower dollar amounts. And interestingly enough, our first client has a product, not dental, but similar in nature, where it's a lot of transactions, but it's a low dollar amount per transaction. So that's why we chose that first company as our first carrier to test the Benekiba system. So, Yeah, if I can add on that, it's interesting. So I came, like I said, from the fintech payments world. And if you're in the banking world and you want to switch your core processing system, there are, you know, 20 flavors of Fiserv or Jack Henry or FIS. When you come into this world, there's no version of that in the dental insurance world. So most of the claims processing systems are taken from another industry or homegrown. Um, When I came here, part of my mandate from our board was to be able to really upgrade our technology infrastructure, update our technology capabilities. So we moved in 2017 to a completely rules-based engine environment, but we process more than 90% of our claims on an automated basis. The rest of those, we would call them, as you said, fallout, they drop down and they're reviewed by either hygienists or dentists in particular. We use a fair amount of machine learning to look at those claims, not only in Iowa, but in a national database across the country, as we have payer providers that we pay for across the country. So it's an interesting business that, you know, unlike, yeah, you're right. There are no million dollar claims in dental. That's just the nature of the way it works. But, you know, our average turnaround time, I mean, our goal is seven days to turn around a claim. Most of the time it happens in three. So, you know, if you look at that, it's just a very different nature, very different type of claim than if you were looking at a large PNC or a large life type of claim. That's very interesting. I was talking with a carrier a couple of weeks ago and they have a dental division and they were saying they're processing, you know, upwards of eight to 10,000 claims per day. And I thought that was interesting. You don't definitely don't see that as much on the life and annuity side of things, just processing that sheer amount, you know, in a 24 hour period. So what are some of the challenges that you are facing specifically in, you know, that dental insurance environment? Well, I think that, you know, that some of the challenges of the dental insurance environment, and, you know, 
are, are unique to us, and some of them are probably more broadly for the insurance industry overall. So first of all, I would say that one of the things that we've spent a lot of time on is focusing on really being a health and wellness company. So while you know our core product is dental insurance, we offer vision insurance, we have a partnership on the legal and identity protection side, You know, people buy our product because they want to improve their own health and the health of their family. And so I think sometimes carriers get in this place where they forget that they think they're selling a water heater and what people want is hot water, right? I don't really want a water heater in my house if I didn't have to have one, but I really do like hot water. And so I think that's the first piece that I think we have to change our mindset, not only within our company, but in the industry is, you know, I run around here saying we need to quit thinking like a freaking insurance company, right? Because if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So our real sense of that is, is how do we make sure that we're really focused on the health and well-being of the member we have, whether they come to us through an individual channel, whether they come through us through a group channel or whether they come through us through a government channel? How are we focused on that? And knowing that the table stakes to do that are being good on the claim side, being good on the service side, having a strong network. I mean, all the things that, you know, you expect from a carrier like us, but really the value we create it's not about that. It's about health and wellness. And I think that, you know, what carriers are now seeing is, and I'll just use the health insurance business writ large, right? Sure. So medical, dental, vision, you know, med stuff, all those kinds of Medicare Advantage is, you know, for the longest time, you know, we were not as an industry leading edge when it came to technology. Maybe we're still not. But the reality is, is that we all live in an Amazon iPhone world, right? Everything lives through this thing. And so how is it that we enable our customers to improve their health, improve their well-being on the things that we have domain knowledge for uh, and do those in a way that's digitally oriented? And I think that's a challenge of every carrier. We could go to the life and PNC side and my work with the Global Insurance Accelerator. But the reality of that is, is I think insurers are, you know, trying to figure out how do they transform themselves into consumer-focused companies. And in the health business, broadly, we've been a business-to-business customer. We sold, or business-to-business company, we sold business, you know, health insurance to employers, and then they signed up their employees. And that model is completely changing. Now we have to think about, you know, 1.6 million members that we serve versus the 4,500 customer, group customers we serve. Yeah, it's very interesting. I said even back when I managed the advisory practice prior to Benakiva, um, the claims process on the group side, I've always said you have to have a great claims process. You have to offer that Amazon type claims process on the individual side. However, on the group side, that's where the claims experience truly is a customer experience issue. Because until you're an advisor and you've had the CEO of a company that has 10,000 lives come to you and say, Brent, move the plant. And you ask why, why are you moving the plant? Well, because our CFO went through the claims process and she said it was terrible. And that's when the light bulb goes off and you're going, holy crap, this is a customer experience issue. So I love the fact that you're talking about that Amazon type experience, because that's what we talk about here at Benakiva. You should be able to have an Amazon type claims and servicing experience anywhere, anytime, any device. Well, and it's an interesting process. We don't always get to say yes, right? I mean, we have rules and there are things that plans cover and there are things that plans don't cover. And oftentimes employers make those decisions in a group plan and we're really administering on their behalf. Yep. And people call and wonder why we don't play that. I mean, the nature of, especially the businesses that we're in, and I'll use dental and vision in particular, if I buy a life insurance plan, 
I don't really ever want to use that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that means something bad happened. And if I bought an auto plan or an auto insurance policy, I don't really want to use that for the most yeah. part. But in our world, we want our customers to use that right for yeah. preventive care. And so we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how is it that we focus on the prevention side of that and do that. And so that's the nature of why we have so many claims, because obviously, you know, when you go to the dentist a couple of times a year, go get your eyes checked once a year, you know, that it turns into a claim for us, you know, almost 100 percent auto adjudicated. But the reality of that is, is that it's just a different model. Yeah. And if you're in the life business and something bad has happened, typically, you know, like I said, we don't always get to give, you know, we don't always get to say yes. But for the most part, we're talking about prevention, health, well-being, not about, you know, a really tragic life situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you guys getting into vision. Yeah. What brought that on? How did this come about? Well, we've been in the vision business since about 2010. And I would say that if you think about your traditional insurance stack at an employer. There's medical, dental, vision, life, disability. I mean, that's kind of the traditional stack. So vision is quite frankly, a lot like dental in the sense that, you know, there's a fair amount of it that's prevention. Obviously there's a difference between, you know, buying glasses and frames and contacts and those sorts of things versus what you tend to do on the dental side. And we were in it for a number of years and we were okay. One of the things that we realized probably 2016, 2017, is that we had to rethink the way that we were approaching this. So, you know, most carriers in the vision business think about, you know, what are your allowances for frames and how does that work? But the reality is that in the vision world, it's actually the only exam that you can do where you can see inside the body, the blood vessels and those things, it's not invasive. Yeah. And so if you think about the importance of that, you know, my sense of that before I came to work here was as long as my arms are long enough and I could still read the piece of paper in front of me, or, you know, I didn't really need to worry about getting a vision exam. And, you know, as we hired a clinical director for our vision business, the education that he's done in our building with our brokers, with our groups and our members is really about the importance of that annual vision exam for what, you know, for your overall health. When he was a practicing optometrist, he said he would send one patient to get a MRI or CAT scan for a potential brain tumor that he could diagnose in a vision exam, one of those every month. And so if you think about that, you know, that's an interesting primary care access point. If you sort of think about it in the broader healthcare perspective. So what we've done is we've reoriented our whole business around that, which is, you know, much like dental is very preventive focused. How do we make vision prevention focused? So we've been in the business for a long time, you know, but we've really started to rethink it. So one of our new products that we've had out probably been four years ago now, it's called One and Sun. So if you you know, it's a rider on our plan. And if you have that and go get your annual preventive vision exam, we'll send you a coupon for a free pair of Ray-Ban or Oakley sunglasses. And really it's that incentive process that says, how is it that we start to change people's perspective around prevention in the vision space, just like we have over really almost a century uh, in the dental space. So we think it's a great business. Since then, we've really taken an even broader look at it and says, how do we think about holistic well-being? And I think that that's something that's coming out of the pandemic for sure is people are thinking beyond just physical well-being. They're thinking about emotional, financial for their employees, career and community well-being. How do we help our group customers in this particular case, but also our individual members specifically, how do we help them think about more holistic well-being rather than just a point solution where we're a payer? Yeah. No, that's excellent. And you bring up a great point because I will be honest, I didn't know I needed glasses until I went in to get my driver's license renewed and I failed the vision test. 
And they were like, you need glasses. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And then I put them on for the first time and I'm like, what have I been missing? Right. So that makes complete sense. Yeah, and not to geek out on this, but you know, a number of my vision doc in particular has this tool. So instead of having to dilate your eyes now, it's basically a retinal, you know, a 3D image of your eyeball. You put your head into a, a yep. device. And what's interesting about that isn't so much that I mean, it's cool technology and I like it, but now they can look at things over time. So they have a baseline of your eye health, not just your vision, but your eye health. And they can look at that over time and they can use, you know, essentially you know, machine vision, kind of AI sorts of tools to then start to diagnose things that maybe not even a doctor can see. Right. So I think that that becomes where these augmented tools around, you know, machine vision, computer vision, AI, all those things start to look at images, radiographs on the dental side, these types of images on the vision side, and really can enable technology to help catch things sooner in that environment. So it's one thing that, you know, I didn't wear my, I didn't figure out I needed glasses to be able to read until, you know, my eyes hurt after reading. It's another thing to know that, you know, there's an issue on the back of the eyeball. It could be systemic of another much more larger health type of issue. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. You mentioned the one diagnosis a month because my doctor, she actually mentioned something like that, something, a similar scenario where she said that, you know, she has one or two a month that she sends to an actual you know, a regular doctor. And I thought mm-hmm. that was very, very interesting. Actually, we'll have to ask our agent because we use Delta Dental One Vision where my my Ray-Ban or Oakley's are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's folks about the One and Sun product. It really is a great product. We rolled it out internally. We kind of have a, you probably have this, you know, given what uh, what you do, but we yeah. sort of have a eat your own cooking approach, yeah. which is, you know, we were the beta customer for this, making sure we had all of the, you know, logistics and all that done. We're now in the inventory business. We now have, you know, thousands of pairs of glasses that we uh, we ship out. But, oh, uh, you know, I think that it was one of the most valuable benefits that our employees got. It was a great opportunity to, to have the conversation, right? Yeah. But now it's like, well, how do I get those sunglasses? And yeah. Why are you doing this? I think, you know, as an employer, if you just kind of think about not our business, but as an employer, you know, people, employers offer benefits because they want certainly their employees to be productive, but from an altruistic perspective, they want them to be healthy. Yeah. And that then gets you to have a conversation about why are these benefits important, right? It's one thing to attract and retain employees, and we're all dealing with that in today's world. But the reality of you know, many of these benefits is about how do I improve my health and how do yeah. I maintain my health? Yeah. And you know, more and more of our customers on the group side are asking us, you know, how can you help us educate our employees? Because on these programs that are preventive in nature, like dental and vision, and even legal to some extent, how do we get them to use it, right? Once they bought it, how do we get them to use it? And, yeah. and that's really been that activation strategy, not only from you know helping our employers, but from our own direct digital perspective is really important. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about some of the changes or challenges that you think the insurance industry, specifically dental and vision, are going to face in the next five years. And Brent, I'd like to hear your feedback on what your thoughts are on, on the industry changing just as, as insurance goes. Go ahead, Jeff, start us out. What do you think some of those challenges and changes are going to be? Well, you know, let me tell you a quick story. So when I came to, to Delta Dental, you know, I had been a customer for 20 years, but I really didn't understand deeply the dental insurance business. And so I talked with our employees and I said, you know, the only time that I paid attention to Delta Dental has been three times a year. The day I signed up and the twice a year I got my teeth cleaned. Yep. So let's not pretend we're Starbucks in this conversation. <laughs> and then I read Howard Schultz's book, who is the founder of Starbucks. And he said, what's the first thing you do in the morning after you brush your teeth? You get your coffee. And he was talking more about Starbucks. And I was like, 
holy cow, what we need to be thinking about is when people brush their teeth and that health and wellness component. And so, you know, the best way for us, and I'll get to the conversation about what I think the changes are, but the best way for us to engage with our members, 1.6 million members, would be a one-on-one relationship, right? Some kind of dialogue like we're having here today that talks about the intricacies of that. That doesn't scale. So, you know, the question is, is how do we enable digital communication, marketing automation, all the kinds of buzzwords that you see, but these strategies that allow us to have non-spammy relationships with 1.6 million members one at a time. And I think that that's probably the biggest change in our environment over time is moving from a group-centric model where we talk to an HR benefit manager and then they outsource the last mile to an environment where not only are we interested in creating these direct relationships, but our group customers are saying, we want you to have these direct relationships because we're not the expert, you are. And so how do you do that? There's also some credibility coming from our side as an expert versus coming from, from HR. So I think that that's the, the first change. And then I think the second change is, you know, the way in which health insurance has gotten paid for forever has been in a fee-for-service environment, right? You do a procedure, you get paid. It's almost like a widget kind of model. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, what needs to clearly happen is that we need to be able to start paying for outcomes and value. And that's a hard conversation that will not happen in the medical world. You know, there have been hundreds of different experiments on risk sharing and ACOs and those sorts of things. And I don't think they've figured any model out. I think on the dental world, we continue to have experiments. We haven't figured it out. But over time, this idea that we're paying people for widgets and procedures versus paying people for outcomes, I think is counter to the idea of our goal is to keep people healthy. So, you know, instead of going to the doctor when you're sick, you want to go when you're healthy to catch these things early. Instead of going to the dentist when you have a toothache over, you know, 50, 60 years, we've, you know, changed the narrative of I should go to the dentist once or twice a year. So I think that that's probably the coming change. It's not easy. If it were easy, it would have been done. I mean, people like Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon and JP Morgan tried to figure it out on the medical side and got out of it because they all of a sudden realized it was hard and it was local. But I think to some extent, providers and payers working together to do that, both with the goal of the patient slash member in mind, is really the, the right way to go for the future. Absolutely. Brent, what are your thoughts on what the future looks like within the industry? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, Jeff, that that's where it needs to shift to. It needs to shift to outcome. We actually talk about that on our side. You know, our, our side, we always talk about delivering wow, you know, deliver that wow experience. And to us, that's outcomes. And it's interesting. I had this conversation with a marketing company. We hired this, this marketing company to do some marketing for us. And they said, we're going to bring in, you know, a million dollars worth of business to you. And it's going to cost you, you know, $100,000. Okay. And I say, okay, well, just because you bring in a million dollars doesn't mean we made a million dollars, right? So we need to figure out what are we actually making on all of those deals to compare that to the marketing. And I said, in all reality, if you bring in $3 million, I'd love to pay you $300,000. So let's have it be an outcome-based model. Yeah. And of course they say, oh, no, 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 we don't do that. You just pay us a fee and you know, we hope that you bring this in. Like, no, it needs to shift to an outcome. If you're going to sell me on a process of you're going to drive this much business, then let's put tracking mechanisms in place to understand that, yes, you actually drove that business. And when you drive that business, we're happy to pay you. <laughs> but if you don't, well, then we don't. 
<laughs> and so uh, I haven't had a marketing company yet sign up for it, but <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think that the conversation is is that intuitively everybody would say that makes sense, and the nature of those things are hard. You have different populations that come with different health. Yep. backgrounds. They come with different socioeconomic statuses. They come from different parts of the country. You know, in the dental world, you might have a, a community that has fluoride in their water and a community that doesn't. And so, you know, the the real question is, is, you know, a lot of times you, you get this issue of carriers and providers like this. And I think what we really have to do is get on the same side of the table and figure out, okay, what are the, the things that we need to work on together? So in our business, part of our strategic plan for the next three years is to own prevention, that we want every one of our members to get a preventive visit every year. And in the dental space, you know, it's a reasonably large number that pay for dental insurance doesn't get it. And, you know, and I think part of that is, you know, Dad is the subscriber. He's the employee. Mom and the kids go get their dental visit, but dad doesn't, right? Frankly, males 27 to 44 or 54 are notorious for not getting that care. And so we have to, you know, come to the best interest of us. It's in the best interest of our group customer. It's in the best interest of our provider who wants to provide that care. And it's in the best interest of the member. And so now we have to start to think about how is it that we do that? Once we start to move that, then we can start to say, great, now that we have a regular pattern, somebody has a dental home. Now we can start to think about how we change the payment mechanism around that. But to change it now when we haven't changed the behavior collectively is really hard to do. So I think that, you know, how we have to work on that over time is what are the experiments that we can learn from that show value? And then how do we, you know, leverage those to use the, the Jim Collins analogy of fire bullets and cannonballs. Yep. And, you know, we've got to fire a few bullets to try and figure out what we need to do. And then I think we can co collectively fire cannonballs in the space. Sure. sure. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll say, I go, go ahead. Here. You go twice a year? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to like drop this podcast on my husband's phone when he has a long car drive and just be like, hey, you should listen to our latest podcast. Seriously, <laughs> listen and like nudge him a little bit because he is terrible. I mean, the kids, we do great, but my husband is just terrible about following up on that. And I want to bring back a little bit of focus to what we're talking about on being results driven and, you know, really making that change. I think the level that it brings to the table for everyone sitting at the table, regardless to the side, is accountability. It makes carriers accountable for for really investing in that end result. And it makes the individual accountable for their own health and their own choices. And I think, you know, that is key across the board. You know, Brent, when we're talking about it on our side of the things, you know, let's let's focus on that result and everyone be accountable to themselves and what they have to do in order to achieve that result. And that's one of the things that working at Benakiva has been a pleasure is because everyone shows up with that mentality. But I am the first to recognize that it's not that mentality across the industry. Right. And so we're going to spin off of that. And what advice would you give listeners, carriers, anyone listening to our podcast right now, Jeff, what advice would you give them? Well, I've got a couple. So one of those is, you know, what's the default option? So I talk about this a lot. You know, when you upgrade your phone and you have to go through the terms and conditions, have you ever read those? Because I don't think anybody's ever actually read them, right? Have you read it? Okay. Then you, you may be... You may be the only, okay. You may be the only person I've ever talked to that read it. So congratulations on that. But you know, so if you think about that, you know, as we think about how we design things, the question is: is what is the default option? What's the behavior you're trying to get to? So in our world, 
they become incentives, right? If you go to the vision doc, you get a pair of sunglasses. We now have a program where we send an electric toothbrush to each member with refillable heads. And, you know, how do we start to, to do that? So I, I think that a lot of times, you know, as carriers, we live in our world of compliance and it's a, it's a very highly regulated, you know, complex business. It's not rocket science, but it's complex. Yep. And so what we get so wrapped around the axelon is that somehow we're going to trip over a rule. Right. That we make life terrible from a customer experience perspective for our customers. And so I, I think we have to start to rethink that, which is what are the outcomes that we want? And then how do we do that? And I think there are examples, you know, our examples are true, but, you know, how do you reward people for better driving, right? These kind of UBI sorts of pieces in that. And so I think there are opportunities to, to do that. I think the other piece that, you know, I found, so one of the pieces I didn't say about my, my background and where I got to know Brent is I was the founding chairman of the Global Insurance Accelerator. So, you know, working with InsureTech companies, we were the first essentially InsureTech Accelerator, possibly in the world, but certainly in the United States. And so I've had an opportunity to work with, you know, dozens and dozens of, of startup companies in all kinds of different places in that. And what I've noticed in that is most carriers, I would say that we've had our own share of challenges here, are pretty terrible about pilots. Yeah. And they don't necessarily, they're not willing to try something small. They'd rather just study it forever and then, you know, try something big. So I'll go back to my fire bullets and cannonballs is this idea of when we're looking for innovation in our businesses, and I think everybody's looking for innovation. The question is, is where do you find it? And I don't think you find it in an innovation department. I think you find it in bringing in people who are willing to challenge your assumptions, your conventionally held wisdom about the business, and to do it in a small way. I mean, there's a reason we started this incentive program on our one and son on our vision business, not our dental business. Yeah. You know, our dental business is this big and our vision business is smaller. And so we could experiment on our vision business and, and we had incentive to do it because we're not the dominant carrier in vision, frankly. And so we needed to create innovation in that world. And then once we figured out how to do it, then it's like, well, now let's take it to the dental business, right? We knew the same kind of concept was going to apply, but the reality was, is let's work out the kinks in a business where, you know, we're able to take some, a little bit more risk from a brand perspective. And so, you know, to our early one and son customers, thank you for being with us in that journey. But, you know, the reality of that is, is that I think every carrier kind of has to think about that, right? Like where are their pockets for innovation? How do they work with insure tech startups or other people who have really interesting ideas? Don't put the whole franchise at risk, but, you know, be able to do this in a pilot way that, uh, that then can scale once you find success. So I think, you know, as, as carriers, I don't know that we're great at that because we're so compliance focused. We don't think of, and risk averse, right? Nobody gets in the insurance business because they want to take a lot of risk. So, you know, how do you do that? Excuse me. And that's, that's appropriate risk in that sense. Excellent. Brent, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually have a presentation on this I've shared across the United States, and it's actually entitled, So You Want to Work with InsurTechs. And, and one of the key points there was, you know, the whole procurement process of you can't send a startup of 10 employees, you know, obviously we're a lot more than that now, but you can't send a startup of 10 employees through a procurement process that you send Salesforce through. It's right. not going to work. And then I love the idea of the proof of concepts because we we started right out of the gate. We do no free proof of concepts, proof of values. To me, if you're doing something for free, then both parties aren't 100% in it. But I've also seen there's a lot of carriers that 
to your point, Jeff, they'll create these innovation departments and they'll do pilots, proof of concepts, but they're stuck in pilot or proof of concept land. Yeah. And so interestingly enough, you know, in ours, we do no free proof of concepts, but knock on wood, I hate, you know, Bobby hates when every time I do this, but we have yet to deliver a paid proof of concept to a carrier that the carrier decided not to implement Benakiva. And so, you know, I don't know of any other vendor in the world that can say that, but the thought process is as part of our proof of concept or proof of value, we're holding the carrier accountable saying, if we meet these outcomes, right, you will move forward with a contract with us. And I think a lot of startups, what I would suggest to the insurtechs or any startup for that matter, is you have to be able to say no to some carriers. You know, I remember the first tier one client that we said no to, and they were shocked. They were like, wait a minute, you're, you're this little tiny company and you're telling us who has 20,000 employees, no, yes, we are, <laughs> you know, and guess what? Today they're a client, <laughs> you know, because we held our ground as to why we go through this process and ultimately it ended up a win-win for everybody involved. So I think that I love your aspect of try some of these things. You know, it's one thing to talk about insure tech and, and innovation. It's another thing to do. And yeah, if it makes, if it adds value, then move forward. You know? Yeah. And, and I'd say I have this continuum that I use in the business. You know, we, we talk about return on investment a lot, right? ROI. There are some projects that are about tuition. Yeah. They're about learning and about paying tuition for that. Love now, it. You can't have a whole portfolio of tuition projects, right? <laughs> At some level, Although I have two college students, so it feels like my whole portfolio is tuition right now. But so, you know, you want to move it from tuition to return on investment, but you can't go into everything with the idea that this is going to be a home run because, you know, I don't think you, you end up taking enough risk in that. I mean, when I was in the banking business, there is something, you know, charge offs mean you alone went bad, right? There's, there's a place where your charge offs can be too low. Yeah. You're not taking enough risk to do that. Now you don't want charge offs that are super high. There's obviously a place where that's that's detrimental, but there is a place where you're not taking enough risk. And I think, you know, carriers just generally don't think about this concept. And I talk about internally, like if we punch a hole in the boat, is it below the waterline or above the waterline? Right. Right. Above the waterline just makes the boat look ugly. Below yeah. the waterline is pretty significant. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think you've got to understand what kind of risks are you taking and how do you manage those risks rather than avoiding them, which tends to be not only the, the concept of large organizations, regardless of the industry, but insurance in particular. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Oh, oh, go ahead, Brent. I was oh, going to add one more point. I think there's something to be said about some carriers who will challenge some of the regulatory constraints as well. Because at the end of the day, when you look at, you know, the regulatory side of the industry, I'm very close friends with Nick Gerhardt, former commissioner of the state of Iowa. We've had multiple conversations around this, that at the end of the day, regulations are in place to protect the end consumer. Yep. And a carrier is trying to provide that Amazon type experience for the end consumer but can't do it because of certain regulation. I think that's a perfect opportunity to go back and, and challenge some of those regulatory items. And I think there was a change in our industry, you know, the AM best innovation change in the industry, I, I felt was a great change because now you're incentivized to do more innovation. And in order to keep those ratings, in order to, to show you're a great carrier, you have to take 
some of those innovative risks. And so kudos to you and, and other carriers that are doing that. Well, and I'll tell you that we operate here in Iowa and, you know, our department, our insurance division has been so supportive when it's come to innovation. Yeah. And a lot of times I think it's not really about that it's against a rule or a law or a regulation. It's just that nobody's thought about it that way. Yeah. And so how do you think about that differently? I mean, most regulators don't get promoted for allowing these things, but they get taken to the woodshed if they go bad. Right. And so how do you change the incentives around these? So there's an opportunity for innovation. I think what's been great about Iowa and our work with the GIA and the insurance division and carriers, not only from Iowa, but across the country, sure. is there's been a synergy about like, okay, great. If a startup of an insure tech company has an idea, okay, how do we put it in a sandbox so that we, we kind of manage the risk, we watch it. And then if it, if it turns out that, yeah, that's really something that's going to be beneficial to consumers, it's going to be beneficial to carriers. Now, how do we encode it in rules and regs? Yep. And, you know, I think that that approach, a much more flexible approach to the regulatory environment is definitely needed. I mean, we talked about technology, we talked about consumer orientation, but none of this happens if you don't have flexibility on the regulatory side. Correct. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time, both of you gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. And for our listeners, a couple of, of things. We're going to continue our talk about innovation in the insurance industry. We will be speaking with Mass Mutual next week. So tune in for that. Head over to benakiva.com to our Benakiva Connects page if you'd like to find this more podcast and go back and to listen to some of our other interviews. Jeff, it was a pleasure having you. It's also a pleasure having Delta Dental. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thanks so much for having me a part of this. Thanks for joining us this week on the Benakiva Connects podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.benakivaconnects.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you liked this show, you might want to check out a demo of our software. Simply go to www.benakiva.com and click request a demo. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where we will continue setting the digital foundation for end-to-end claims and servicing transformation.